Year, and welcome to the first episode of Puck University for 2018. I'm your host, Tim Williams, joined again this week by Chris Lynch of InsideHockey.com. Chris, how are you doing up in snowy, the Boston area? I am great, but my God, is it cold, and my God, is it snowy in New England. But you know what that means? Perfect hockey weather. So I guess we shouldn't complain that much. And while we're on the weather, just a second, it, it, right before we, or we recorded our last episode right before the Christmas break, and I went back up to the Northeast to see family for Christmas. And I got to tell you, as much as it's wonderful in Florida, the Christmas season is going to take some getting used to because you're used to it being so, so cold. So I won't do the typical Florida thing and rub in the weather. It's it, I won't even mention what the weather is here in the Tampa Bay area today. But I will say that for a couple of weeks in December, I think everyone even here misses the cold. <laughs> Why would you miss it? It's so... It's so painful. I covered a tournament in Dartmouth, uh, Dartmouth College in Hanover, New Hampshire, and I walked outside and it was negative double digits below zero. So, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know why you would ever miss the cold aside from the, ooh, the snow is pretty and the skiing is fun. Outside of that, no, I kind of wish Florida had college hockey so I could be down there covering stuff there. Well, I'll agree with you on that. I I was kind of just getting at it. It's a little weird to go from 80 degree heat, walk inside a grocery store and they're playing Christmas songs is is kind of what I was getting at there. That's a little, that's a little, the kind of thing that takes some getting used to about living in a warmer climate. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. I'm used to New England. So this is, this is the natural progression of seasons. At least our summer times up here are pleasant and enjoyable and not 105 in the shade it is, it is a wonderful place to spend the nice months it's and it's a wonderful place to watch hockey and i guess we should get right into it and stop talking about uncomfortable subjects for well what is most of america is getting kind of hit by the northeast is certainly getting hit by a really bad storm and by the way everyone including chris stay warm stay safe it's not anything to mess with out there I saw a picture of the aquarium area and what's going on in Boston right now. Stay warm, stay safe. Oh, it's it's a mess. So I'm staying inside. I'm not leaving my apartment. I don't really have anywhere to go. And fortunately, I can work from home. So that's what I'm doing. And I hope everyone else does as well. Well, now that we're thinking cold thoughts, let's get right into the hockey. Last weekend, college hockey resumed after the break with a few of the midseason tournaments, a few conference matchups, and a bunch of non-conference matchups that that we saw. In the WCHA, it was kind of a conference weekend. Northern or um, Minnesota State really established themselves once again on they split with Northern Michigan, but in that split they won six to three on Saturday night. They retained a top ten spot. And we talked about Minnesota State and the guys, the the boys from Mankato, and how far they've come and how far the WCHA's come this year. It remains a great story. It's one of the best stories in college hockey this year. Yeah, they're ranked seventh going into uh, going into the new year. They kept their spot at seventh, fourteen six and zero. They're one of the few teams. I think only Cornell is ranked higher than them. 
and they've not played as many games, but they're still without a tie. They're the only two teams ranked that highly with no ties this late into the season. And it's a brutal, beat-you-up, physical kind of hockey team that the Mavericks have. C.J. Seuss, I think he better be getting some outside nods for um, for the Hobie Baker and Mike Hastings. Had better get a nice, good, long look for Coach of the Year. I'll agree on both of those. They've been quite a story. And just to add to their ranking of seventh in the latest USCHO poll, I'm looking at the current pairwise rankings because with the new year, we can finally start to take the pairwise rankings a bit more seriously. And Minnesota State's number six. So objectively, this is a top 10 team. Oh, absolutely. They they looked at when they were in Boston. That's the only time I've seen them is when uh, they managed to sweep BU and they did it in convincing fashion. So it's a good it's a good physical team. They've got big big players, big bodies. Connor Lacouvet has had a very good stretch in goal. Also a former BU guy and I'm I'm happy to see him uh get some real chances to succeed in other places. And they've gone on the road and won in hard places to play. At BU, they split at Bowling Green dominated at Lake State and beat Huntsville. And the fact that they split against Northern Michigan, I mean, Northern's not a not a team to scoff at. So they come out with, with some victories. And they'll have some other games later on, late this month, which are the only two out-of-conference games remaining on their schedule. On Saturday the 20th, they're at St. Cloud State, which is probably the big circle that out-of-conference game uh, for late in this month, and then That's on the twenty third, the <laughs> oh yeah, oh absolutely, and then not well, not quite as big time, but on Tuesday the twenty third, they're hosting Minnesota Duluth, also a very good team, an NCHC team, and an opportunity to show that the Mavericks have what it takes to win in the state of hockey. Yeah, those will be two very big games for for a Mavericks team that has surprised a lot of people this season. And I don't think they're surprising anymore. They're, we've gotten to the point in the season where we can't look at teams as just upstarts anymore. If you've gotten to this point and you're still, you still have that number next to your name, you've earned it. Oh, absolutely. And they've got all the talent. Three of the top five scorers in the WCHA play for the Mavericks. C.J. Seuss, I mentioned earlier. Uh, Zeb Nustin. Uh, Jake Jeremko. I'm sorry if I'm missing any of these names or pronunciations, but Seuss is really the guy that uh, everything hinges on. And the thing about them, it's an old, uh, it's a veteran group with a lot of seniors. Jeremko is the one freshman who, uh, taking a look through here, who's really having the biggest impact on them on the Mavericks so far, but it's a veteran team and Mike Hastings has done really good work with the Mavericks. So I uh, probably coach of the year would end up going to the work being done in South Bend, but uh, Mankato is seeing some outstanding hockey and I'm excited to see what they do moving forward here. Yeah, I, I think there will be an interesting race for coach of the year between those two. And of course, it's still early, so we can we can speculate all we want. But there could be a team that comes out of seemingly nowhere, just has a great 
2018 and suddenly that's a deeper group of coaches. But I think right now, I think you have it right. The coach of the year would be a race between those two in in Minnesota State and in Notre Dame. Notre Dame could have been ranked number one. They're ranked number two in the latest poll. They received a bunch of first place votes. St. Cloud State is still the number one school, and they had an interesting weekend, I would say, last week. Yeah, they went on the road and tied against Princeton. Um, Not sure how many St. Cloud players were missing from World Juniors. I think maybe one or two. And they are going to be missing one of their top defensemen uh, to the Olympic team. But they had, a, they had for most of their guys there, and they tied against Princeton, a team that I've heard from a lot of ECAC insiders that they really think Princeton is an upset-minded team because they can score. They're the top-scoring team in the ECAC in terms of points per game, goals per game, assists per game, all that stuff. So they are one of the most potent offensive teams. If they could up their defense in any considerable way, then the Tigers would make Hobie Baker rink and a brutal place to come and play a hockey game. So I would say it makes some sense that that Princeton skated with them as well as they did. Yeah, and like you mentioned, this is the beginning of the period of the year where teams are going to lose some of their best players due to international competitions most notably the olympic games and we'll get that in a bit because there's a lot of olympic discussion to be had in the college hockey world at this point and of course with the world juniors going on as well you have players just not able to play for their teams you mentioned with st cloud state they they've been lacking players right now they're going to lose um, will borgen the defenseman to the to the Olympic Games when that goes on, and that will start to take players from their teams next month. So that's going to be an interesting challenge for a lot of teams. It's currently a challenge to St. Cloud State. You're right with Princeton. They're an upset-minded team, and they're a team. When when you can score as quickly as Princeton can score, you can beat anybody on a given night. Now, the consistency comes from defensive play. It comes from goaltending, but... If you can get those scores going, then on a given night, it can be really tough to stop you. Well, Princeton does look like they're going to start having some real goaltending. The second game uh, on the Saturday night at Hobie Baker in Princeton, a 2-2 tie, and Ryan Furland was the goaltender for Princeton, faced 45 shots and saved 43 of them. They They do look like they're starting to get some... Uh, offensive, well, some help to aid out their defense. And their their goaltending is starting to take some shape. Furland is developing. Uh, and the offense can keep pace with anybody. They did get outshot slightly in that game, ultimately. They lost the shot battle 10-6 to the first period and 19-15, to which there were 19 shots for one team and 15 shots for the other in the second period. That's an fast-paced, up-and-down, exciting hockey game, if ever there was one. And the third period, they won the shot battle 17-13. So they can keep pace with a lot of these teams, and Furland is showing some promise. So don't look past uh, don't look past Princeton to make a run deep into the ACAC tournament this year. 
another ECAC slash Ivy League team that had a surprising weekend, and it's not their first surprising weekend lately. Dartmouth almost won the Ledger Bank Classic. They went to overtime of the final, falling to Minnesota Duluth, the defending or, or the defending national runner-up, the number two team from last season. They, in doing so, Dartmouth in the first game on Friday, December 29th, three to one over New Hampshire. Now that's a big win for Dartmouth. Oh yeah, they uh, there's a real in-state rivalry between New Hampshire and Dartmouth. My uncle is a he works at Dartmouth. He really does not like UNH. I like I like the Wildcats for their story and for their team and talent, and I like the way that Dickum Millie runs his um, uh, runs his units. So I just I'll say on a side thing. I'll touch on this again later, but. UNH might be time to push the panic button because of how they've done uh, to end off 2017. But let's talk about Dartmouth for a little bit. And keep in mind, this is also a team that went into Magnus Arena and upset Denver on the road in a game where they were down 3 nothing. So Dartmouth, after winning that game and coming back from the break, really skated. And it was led by the young guys. Matt Baker and Quinn Foreman both scored, and they're both freshmen both finding their way, and Devin Buffalo was outstanding in both of the games against UNH and against Duluth. So it's a fun team to uh, to watch and a fun team to skate for. It, it's, it's also quite hard to play in Thompson Arena, but, you know, Dartmouth is a surprising team that will battle with you the whole way. And Duluth, it must be noted, was hampered badly in the defensive core. They were missing two or three of their regular defensemen to the World Juniors, and one of their uh, defensemen got suspended for a late hit to the head in a, in their in Duluth's first game against Yale. So they were skating three regular defense, excuse me, four regular defensemen, and a fifth guy who's a forward who played defense in the championship game against Dartmouth. Again, the, the international competitions kind of changed the landscape a bit in college hockey, and it makes these midseason tournaments a little interesting in that that regard. But it was a big win nonetheless for, for Dartmouth and a big tournament win for Minnesota Duluth, who could use the extra boost having a really, really tough conference to play in themselves. I don't envy Duluth one bit. The NCHC... Really, it is the hardest conference in uh, in all of college hockey. We I've heard a lot of people say you, you say so much about the NCHC being that good. They are. It it is that good. Duluth is an excellent team, and right now they are seventh in in the conference. And every single team overall in the NCHC is at or over five hundred for the whole season. It's the powerhouse conference in the nation, and I don't envy what Scott Sandlin has to work with, which is the least room for error in the entire sports world right now. Well, college sports world, I think. Yeah, this is it. I don't see how anyone can look at the landscape of college hockey this season and not see a clear 
hierarchy of where the conferences are. The NCHC clearly at the top, then the Big Ten, not that far below it really, but the NCHC is just so loaded. Big Ten's an excellent conference this year. They're loaded. It's been, we've mentioned it many times, it's a strange year in Hockey East. It's There are some really good teams that have a lot of potential in there, but it's the conference is not what it can be at times. It's not the top 10 factory that it had been in recent years. The ECAC is having a great year. And as we mentioned before, it's kind of a return of the WCHA after all the realignment woes they've been through here they have minnesota state who looks like right now they look like they could beat just about anybody oh yeah this is a funky year for everything um dcac at the top of their sport at the top of their conference with clarkson and cornell those two teams could make the frozen four this year and could compete for national championship I don't think I could pencil out anybody from Hockey East to right now I would say I'll pencil them in for the Frozen Four. On sheer talent, BU has the talent, but you can't just have the pieces. You have to make the pieces fit, and they haven't so far. BC, I'm concerned about their out-of-conference schedule. Northeastern is probably the team right now, especially with Caden Primo being awarded best rookie or the national college hockey award for best best rookie player he's probably uh that team in northeastern is probably the best equipped to make a run at uh, at the frozen four this year but i would need to see them develop more as the season goes on well and even i'll admit that if if northeastern's team were wearing one of the sweaters that starts with the word Boston. I think people would be a little more confident, but the fact is Northeastern's still going to have their own history to play against. And as we get into the 2018 part of the year, there's plenty of optimism. I've mentioned it before. These Jim Madigan teams almost always play better after New Year's Day, but there's still the Northeastern Huskies which means they're four weeks away from their own record, good or bad. Yeah. Uh, they'll will know what this team is with how well they play in the bean pot. They don't even have to win. They just have to well, – they have to win at least the first weekend of the bean pot against BC. If they do that and they are in tight and competitive the whole way through against either Harvard – or BU in the Beanpot final, then you'll know exactly what Northeastern is that weekend. But here's the other thing I've noticed about the, about Northeastern. And you can say this about every team that's broken a long streak of futility in, in the professional sports. The Cubs didn't really care that they were the Cubs. Like the Cubs players of Rizzo and Bryant and all them didn't care. The 04 Red Sox, they didn't care that they were playing for the cursed Boston Red Sox. That unit was just the happy idiots that transcended being a part of the cursed organization. So I would expect, and I've seen that Northeastern has the expectations of they think they are just as good as anyone in the whole country. So I think there's plenty of reason for optimism 
uh, at Matthews Arena down down on Huntington Avenue. I I hope that I have allayed Northeastern's fears a little bit. Have I done so, Mister Northeastern fan? The only reason they entered this podcast in the first place is as a Northeastern alum, I am obligated to bring up our history because otherwise I'm just going to go into why I think Northeastern is, you know, could be even higher than they are in the rankings. And like I said, for a lot of teams, that's appropriate thinking for a fan. For Northeastern, they have to do it first. And, you know, I, you mentioned the 2004 Boston Red Sox. I can remember that season. I can remember rooting for that team. And I can remember the optimism always had to hit a little wall of if. And no matter what, no matter how good that team would get and how much, how likable they were and still are, it, it always had that, yeah, but they still have to get through this thing that we've never seen them do. It has to get through this team we've never seen them beat, and you know, it, it's kind of starting to come in a little bit for North, Northeastern, but I would imagine people who listen to this podcast who are not from the East Coast might get the impression we talk about Northeastern quite a bit, and they only did play one game against American International, which they won last weekend, so I will mercifully move on. <laughs> well... I mean, Northeastern does have to get through the bean pot and does have to get through BU and BC. Simple as that. Um, but they're probably the best team to come out of the hockey East, out of hockey East so far, and I would maintain excitement. And if you are anything of a college hockey fan, I would implore you to support Northeastern and to uh, and to just appreciate how uh, this team is building and developing. So. I would at least hope that if you don't have a dog in the race, Northeastern might be a good outside team to uh, to pull for and like. And no, that's a BU person saying that. That's absolutely correct. And if you happen to get Nesson and they happen to be playing the hockey's game of the week that week, watch Northeastern. They're a fun team to watch. They just play that kind of hockey that you enjoy. It's offense first. They play decent defense. They have a great goaltender, at least in the last month, and freshman came in Primo, who has a lot of potential and is showing it a lot in his freshman season. They're a fun team to watch. So I'll just make that before we move on, and we should move on to to the other tournaments, including the big tournament that happened last weekend. I did want to point that out. They are a they're an entertaining group of hockey players. I'll join on with that. But what's the big tournament that uh, you want to take a look at? The the uh, the Catamount Cup, the Three Rivers, or the Great Lakes? Well, they all deserve a look, but I think we should go to the Great Lakes Invitational. It's one of the great college hockey traditions, and of course, traditions will always change just a little bit over time. I've mentioned lamentations about Joe Lewis Arena not getting the college hockey games that I hoped it would get at some point, but it always hosted this tournament. It was a great host to the GLI, and now that's moved on to Little Caesars Arena, the Pete's Arena, and it was an interesting tournament over over the last few days, starting with the January 1st start between Michigan State losing to Michigan Tech. And 
course, Artie makes its appearance on the podcast for the first time in 2018. Great win for Michigan Tech. Bowling Green took on Michigan, beat Michigan, setting up a final of Bowling Green and Tech in the Great Lakes Invitational Final. Bowling Green won 4-1 to one and earned a number next to their name. They're 19th in the current poll. Earned it is the absolute right word to go alongside it. That is a good hockey team in Bowling Green. They'll give they'll they will give Mankato some real trouble in the WCHA. But honestly, I am very happy to see WCHA teams competing with and beating good teams in the Big Ten. Michigan Tech was in the NCAA tournament last year. They they won the WCHA last year and. They were just outmatched in the first game of the tournament when they had to take on a buzzsaw called Denver. But I'm glad to see them making it back to big tournaments. And Bowling Green, uh, they're not a they're the only not Michigan school in this whole tournament, but they fit in nicely. They played they played very well, and I'm happy to see Bowling Green have a chance at their first NCAA tournament since 1990. It's been a long time since Bowling Green has made a run deep into the tournaments. And on that note, they're not only 19th in the polls, they're currently 18th in the pairwise rankings. And we know how the, how the NCAA tournament works. When we get closer and closer to tournament time, you have to watch those rankings. And once you've accounted for the conference champions taking maybe one slot outside of the top 16. You need to get your team into the top 16 to make that tournament. There's Bowling Green at 18, so they're on the periphery as the year starts. It's where you want to be if you're a team like that. Oh, yeah, and they're earning their way into it. They're, they're absolutely earning their way into, uh, into where they want to be. And they don't have that many high scores, at least for uh, for the WCHA. Uh, Alex Rauhauser is, is their best scorer, and he's a defenseman. Um, uh, with 22 games played, six goals, 14 assists for uh, for 20 points. It's not a high scoring Bowling Green team, but they play they play good defense. They balance their offense around. Red. Brett DeAndrea, Connor Ford, John Schilling, and Tyler Spiza. No idea if he's any relation to Lucas Spiza in the NHL. You know? I do not. Okay. And Eric Dopp, the goaltender, who made 29 out of 30 possible saves in the championship game against Tech. Uh, it's a good team. It's a fun defensive team. And... Uh, they're low shot totals. Six shots the first period of that game, nine shots the second period, ten shots the third and final period. But they make them count, and they, they're they not afraid to beat you up. I feel like the WCHA is the conference where if you want to win, you have to play big man's hitting style of hockey. It's a time machine conference. It plays a style of hockey we don't see as much anymore. The 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 slower, more powerful, bigger hits, more defensive minded, and of course the WCHA has some of the nation's best goalies as well. So that's that's a tough conference where every goal requires a little extra effort to get. And I can see I've... where I can see where a team like Bowling Green 
even though they don't have a lot of scores, they can grind out a game, and that's how you win in the WCHA. You grind. Oh yeah, it's a good team, and I'm I'm very intrigued to see what they um what they do moving forward. I think that they will be they'll be. I wouldn't be shocked to see them competing with Mankato to uh, uh, to try and push for uh, for the WCHA championship this season. They've got a lot of road games. They are only at home for two of the final uh, for two of the final three series that they have. They're at Ferris State at Northern Michigan hosting Anchorage at Lake Superior hosting Tech, and then. This is part of the problem with the WCHA right now. On consecutive weekends, Bowling Green has to fly from Bowling Green, Ohio, to Anchorage, Alaska, play two games there, and then the very next weekend, they close out their season with a weekend uh, series against Alabama Huntsville. So on consecutive weeks, you are going from the furthest west outpost of college hockey to the furthest southeast. That's an insane schedule. To add to how nuts that is, in the, in the professional big four sports, there are no two teams that have to travel as far to play each other as, as Bowling Green's going to have to travel at the end of the season going back and forth from Alaska to Alabama. That's farther than, say, if the Seattle Seahawks play the Miami Dolphins, how far that one team would have to travel. So that that's what we're looking at. College kids who are going to be expected to travel like professional athletes, and in fact, maybe more like the barnstorming soccer teams we get that come over from Europe in the middle of the summer every year. That's a lot of travel miles to log. That's, like you said, that's a tough challenge. Oh, yeah. So I don't envy them one tiny little bit for just how absurd that schedule is. So I still think the thing is that style of play can travel a bit more easily than the high-flying, heavy skating, uh, fast-paced units of what you're seeing uh, it does travel a little bit more easily. So there is, you know, there is that to look forward to uh, from their perspective. But, you know, it is such a hard way to go about it, especially since I'm trying to calculate the number of miles it is from. It's 4,167 miles to get from Anchorage, Alaska to Alabama. That's the amount, and that's not the total amount that they're traveling because they have, they're starting from Ohio and it's closer to six or 7,000 miles that they'll be traveling in one week. That would, that would almost be the equivalent of the Boston Red Sox in the middle of the regular season, having to go play a weekend series for three games in Tokyo. Goodness, the WCHA does need some work. I like the conference, but we need to do something about this conference. There's no reason why we should be forcing these teams to make that kind of insane trip. 
And on that note, for anyone who didn't hear it, you can go back on our feed and our previous episode to this one was Puck University's realignment special, where we both kind of tried to map out conferences that if we could realign things and maybe add a few teams through some sort of magic that we would we would do with the with the schools in Alaska and what we would do with Alabama Huntsville and what we would do with Arizona State. So if you're interested in hearing some theories that will never take place in reality and have no basis in reality, please listen to our realignment special. It's a lot of fun. Quite a good time. Uh, speaking of speaking of Arizona State, they took part in another one of these tournaments over in Pittsburgh. Yeah, they took part in another one of these tournaments, and they will again next week. They were in the Three Rivers Classic in Pittsburgh, where they lost to Arizona State. They also lost to Providence. Providence would end up winning the Three Rivers Classic with a two-to-one win over host Robert Morris on the 30th of December. So they closed. And Providence closed out their year with a a good win and Robert Morris, you know, the, the Atlantic gets a, gets a little bit of a tough rap this time of year where you get stuck in these non-conference games and they're almost outmatched every time, but they're also from Pittsburgh and they are Pittsburgh's college hockey program. So they did pretty well in PPG paints arena and it required a, a good game from one of the one of the better goaltender names in college hockey, Hayden Hockey. It's still the best name in all of college hockey. It's just it's so perfect uh, the way it went out. Twenty six out of twenty five out of twenty six saves for uh, for hockey. Casper uh, Bjorkvist got the second goal late in the second period. On a power play, Brent Pino and Jacob Bryson were the the other players who had an impact on it. So, uh, and Providence dominated the shot total in the first period, eighteen to six, and only got one goal out of it. So Francis Marot, I hope I'm not mispronouncing his name, but uh, he made twenty eight out of a possible thirty saves. He kept his team in it. And he darn near won it by himself for Robert Morris for the Colonials. And it's a good program that they've got over there. And I hope that they can make a run at the Atlantic. That, But Canisius is almost certainly the best team in that conference and will come out of the Atlantic this year. Yeah, Canisius has been very impressive. And, and to anyone wondering, yes, you do pronounce Hayden Hockey's last name, Hockey. I know when it's spelled that way, some people might believe it's pronounced Buchagross, but it's actually pronounced hockey. Ah, <laughs> uh, he really is Bucci's favorite player. He really is Bucci's favorite player. You can sell you can sell his merchandise and Buchigross probably sees some some of the profits on his college hockey deal. Spelled the way he spells it, of course. So moving on to what's coming up this weekend, I mentioned that Arizona State is going to be in another tournament. This one, they're going to be ostensibly hosting. It's the Ice Vegas Invitational. That will start on Friday. Tomorrow, we're recording this on a Thursday. It will start on January 5th. 
in, of course, Las Vegas. So that will be Boston College versus Michigan Tech. Michigan Tech, another team that's going to double up on tournaments in these two weeks. And Arizona State will play Northern Michigan. And we mentioned Northern can be a tough out. So this is going to be an interesting tournament in its own right. The Ice Vegas Invitational. Well, first off, I'm very happy to see. I was, I was very skeptical about the Vegas Golden Knights becoming a thing in uh, in the National Hockey League scene, but it really helps when you are somehow the greatest expansion team in all of sports. No contest, they are the absolute greatest expansion team in all of sports so um hockey is starting to take hold in las vegas i'm happy that it is i'm hoping that more so than any team i would like to see win i hope that people at unlv take a good look at the success of this tournament and think hey we could do that here well, and if I'm not mistaken, the origin of the Vegas Golden Knights is kind of tangentially tied to college hockey because their owner is a West Point alum who adores his alma mater, as you would expect, and in fact, at one point, tried to name the team the Black Knights, if I'm not mistaken. And I, I might have to look that up and confirm whether that's entirely true, but I do know that they're owned by West Point alum. Yeah, that those details sound about right. I knew that they were named and the original uniforms were designed around the Army uniforms. So uh, you could definitely see something out of it. I hope that he uh, has some friends over at UNLV or that Jimmy Kimmel, with all his money being from Las Vegas, decides that he wants to finance something. I, I don't know. He's... He said that he's a supporter of uh, UNLV doing stuff. So, hey Jimmy, throw some money at uh, throw some money at this, and let's get a hockey team out here. Would help Arizona State out a ton because then they might be able to form a conference, and then they might be able to not be doing uh, what they're doing, which is they have to barnstorm in a way. It makes all the sense in the world that Arizona State is in this tournament because one, they're the geographically closest team to it, and two they have to fill out their schedule somehow. And apparently they're doing it by playing against brutal teams from the WCHA. Northern beat Mankato earlier this, uh, at the very end of, of 2017. And that's going to be an interesting out for, uh, for Arizona state to try and overcome. And that BC Michigan tech game, that's going to be fun. <laughs> oh, that's a tough Michigan Tech school. I know BC has had their moments, and they are—they look at times like they could beat anybody. They've been up and down a bit, but they're very deserving of their number 13 ranking. Michigan Tech is one of the best teams out there that doesn't have a number next to them. Oh, yeah. I think they're in the, um, in the polls. I think they're in the others receiving votes category. Yes, they are. Only getting six votes there right on the outside of the pole, but they are they would certainly be worthy. If they take down BC, I would expect them to jump some teams and get into the top rankings for um uh for the USCHO. I don't know how much it would affect their pairwise, but 
it should affect it in a significant, meaningful way, for whatever it's worth. Yeah, it will, because they're 34th in the pairwise right now. They're, they, they have it tough in the pairwise because I think largely the, the power of the NCHC, if you look at the pairwise rankings, you can see it pretty clearly that the, that the NCHC and the Big Ten are all over it, and as is Hockey East, because Hockey East might not have the top end that the two top conferences in college hockey do right now, but it's a deep, deep conference. You have a, a main team that's turning some heads. Massachusetts Amherst is 23rd in the current pairwise. They UMass Lowell, despite having a very up and down season, they're 27th. And then there's BU at 29th, and like you said, they have the talent that they could be a couple of weeks away from moving right up those rankings themselves. So that's a that's a deep conference, and I think the deeper conferences kind of shoot Michigan Tech in the in the foot because again, they're 34. Guess who's 31? Oh, poor Sparty. Yeah, yeah, they're they're ahead of Michigan Tech in the rankings. So, um. So I, I I guess it would be poor tech at the moment. Well, if they take down BC, who is currently 15th in the pairwise, that shoots Michigan Tech up high in the uh, in the rankings. And I've made it known before I'm not that much of a uh, I'm not that much of a BC fan. So I would like to see Tech one. I I would like to see Tech win one. I'm just not that big a BC guy. But two. And I guess more ostensibly, I would like to see some WCHA schools rising in the uh, in in the pairwise, just to you know make things more interesting. And again, it, it, it's always a shame for me when they play these tournaments and there's not a Big Ten team for them to beat up on. They got a chance last weekend; they got one. They got to take on Michigan State, but but this is a there's no one that hates the Big Ten more than Tech. It really seems like they, they are they are personally offended by the existence of this conference. So any chance they can get to to stick it to those schools is great. They got one last weekend, and now they have another shot at a tournament with this Ice Vegas Invitational coming up. So that will be that will be a very interesting matchup. Other big games happening this weekend. I think the biggest one since I just mentioned the school that loads the Big Ten. I think we have to go to the Big Ten for our biggest matchup of the week because there is going to be – it's going to be a show on set on Friday and Saturday. It's going to be at Pegula Ice Arena, Penn State, number 14 in the country. Still won't go away. They will still just keep shooting that puck against number 15 Wisconsin. That's a game. That is that those are two games. That's going to be fun. I expect there's going to be watch me say this. I expect there's going to be a lot of goal scoring. Now watch it end up being 1 to 1 to nothing or 2 to 1 victories in both games. As long as there are as long as there are about 40 to 50 shots aside, then I think we will walk away happy with all of this. But uh, it's going to be really interesting to get to see what uh, 
what they do. And I don't have I don't really dislike the Big Ten. I mean, I don't think anyone will dislike it as much as the old WCHA powers. But if if it is going to uh, be around and it is going to be around, that you got to get some of these marquee matchups. And it's exciting to get to see Wisconsin have a crack in, at Pagula to try and take them down, especially since Wisconsin had a heartbreaking loss to Penn State in the Big Ten tournament uh, last season. So I think we all ought to be excited for uh, what's going on uh, in Happy Valley, or as they call it, Hockey Valley. There's one other Big Ten matchup going on that I'm very intrigued by. Notre Dame at Michigan. And their rivalries in other sports can only be described as raw, unbridled hatred. So I am really hoping that that crosses over onto the hockey rink and that we get nothing short of raw, unbridled hatred between the teams here. I think that when Notre Dame joined the big after last season, most people that looked at it started circling this weekend and matchups between Notre Dame and Michigan because the football series had been so well-known for so long and no longer an annual thing. The the long tradition of Michigan playing Notre Dame got messed up as things do by money and by realignment and by the college football landscape and by the college sports landscape changing. So bringing them into the Big Ten gives us an opportunity to see a rivalry that transcends one sport and just is a rivalry between the two schools in general that is going to take a whole new dimension on the ice because as conference rivals, these two teams are going to learn to hate each other in new and exciting ways. Learn to hate each other. I'm sure they already have it out for, uh, for one another. That's part of the excitement is that if you go to Notre Dame, you don't have to learn to hate Michigan. You kind of do. And if you go to Michigan, you still hate Ohio State more, but you still really don't like Notre Dame either. That's just, I think that's ingrained. It's kind of like how if you go to BU, you are naturally ingrained with disliking BC. Or, uh, you know, it's like it's like being a Red Sox fan, you naturally dislike the Yankees. So I think that that will be, it's the only one of those Big Ten games that's on TV. Um, in fact, I'm looking through the listing. There are three television games um, across all of college hockey. One of them is the NCHC with Omaha at North Dakota. The ECAC gets one between RPI and Harvard. And Notre Dame at Michigan gets a TV audience for that game. So uh, people who still subscribe to cable, you've got a good selection of hockey. but it's either the Big Ten that has your best lineup, or that NCHC lineup is also pretty good. The NCHC has some big matchups. That includes the real marquee matchup in that conference this weekend will be at Ralph Engelstead Arena, where North Dakota hosts Omaha. Both of these teams are ranked. Why does the NCHC continue to give us marquee matchup after marquee matchup? And how is Omaha this good after getting beaten up for big stretches of the early season? It's just, there's no let up in this conference at all. It, you have to, I think all, all of these schools are 
simultaneously thanking and cursing the Big Ten's existence because they get the benefit of the best conference in all of college hockey, and they get the drawbacks of having to beat each other up in the conference, and it's being a major arms race. So Omaha is uh, is last place in the NCHC at two and six in conference, and they're nine, eight, and one overall. There's no let up here. The NCHC is the best thing to come out of college hockey's realignment. It really is. This is a great conference. I can't wait to see it continue to grow. It's eight teams. All of them could beat almost anyone outside of that conference. So it's it's a lot of fun to watch. It's turned into – there was a lot of stuff that came out of realignment that certain parts of college hockey is still just not grown to, to accept yet. But the NCHC, I think we can all embrace. Oh, yeah. You just want good hockey. And thankfully, we are getting our full share of outstanding hockey. Let's just appreciate it and uh, be thankful for the things that we get from all this stuff. And I don't think, well, North Dakota is not back in session at school, but I would still expect the Ralph to all but completely fill up for an important conference matchup like this. Yeah, I expect it will be a, a full crowd and an interesting atmosphere because it might not be all students. They're, this is the kind of game where you see a fair amount of alumni show up. So this will be an, a fun atmosphere there. And um, according to what I'm reading, one of those games, the Friday night game, is on CBS Sports Network. So if you get CBS Sports Network, you'll be able to see what it's like between North Dakota and Omaha. And Omaha, I think, is one of the youngest, uh, really successful programs in all of college hockey. They only started playing D1 hockey in 98 or 99 and made the Frozen Four in 2015 when it was in Boston. So I'm. it's a non-traditional hockey market, so it's really good to see that you can have a team that is young. I mean, Denver and North Dakota are ancient vanguards of this sport so is colorado college so is duluth um but and western michigan is in a traditional hockey market but omaha is not a traditional hockey market and they are struggling right now in conference but overall they are succeeding as a member of one of the best conferences in not just college hockey but maybe all of college sports with just how competitive everything is. So I hope that more schools could take a look at that and go, hey, this sounds like a pretty good idea. So thanks, Omaha, for continuing to be competitive. Also, you have really nice people out, out in Nebraska. So I wish the best for all those nice people in, the, in Nebraska. Yeah, that's right in the heart of the Midwest where politeness is not just expected, it's kind of ingrained in everyone there. So... It's a, it's always nice to, to meet a Midwesterner. They're always pleasant, pleasant people. And out there in, in Omaha, they, you know, it gets really cold in the winter in Omaha. So it might not be a traditional hockey market, but it's certainly a place where enough water freezes that you can play hockey on ponds about this time of year. And it, it's good to see Omaha after 
this is now, I guess this would be their 20th season if they started in 1998. So congratulations on coming so far so quickly. Out of conference, I think the big matchup of the week is pretty clear. St. Cloud State, still number one in the country, gets to take on a regional rival that they don't always get to play in Minnesota. And that oh boy. will be a home-and-home, home. one game at Herb Brooks, one game at Mariucci. That's going to be a lot of fun right there. They don't and call also, it this- I should mention, the first of those two games, the Saturday night game, will be on the same CBS Sports Network. So, fans of college hockey, I hope you get that channel. Please. Uh, I, w- I wish I got that channel over here, but I don't have a cable package in, uh, in Malden where I live. But, oh, well, minor details. But they don't call Minnesota the state of hockey for nothing. A lot of top-tier talent. I mean, the Golden Gophers are always a threat to make a run at it. Duluth was in the national championship chip game last year. St. Cloud has a guy who I think is probably the favorite to win the Hobie this year in Jimmy Schultz. And they've got a team that could win the national championship this year. Mankato with C.J. Seuss has a team that can make the run at it. So any one of these teams can beat each other up. And you'll get fans filling both places for the marquee game. I think in conference or out of conference, I think the game that you should watch if you are a college hockey fan is that St. Cloud, Minnesota game. It's going to be quite a show. It, it really is. These are two teams that have played well all season. And of course, St. Cloud State sitting up there at number one, coming off a couple of ties, still juggling players based on whether or not they're going to play in the Olympics players who are, I guess they'd be just coming back from the juniors. I'm I'm not, I might be a little messed up on my schedules there, but they're a team in a sort of transition because of this. And I'll use that as a transition. We're going to talk for a little bit about these international games and about their impact on college hockey, because now that the Olympic games is not going to take NHL players for reasons that the NHL wants their money. Well, that leaves college hockey in kind of an interesting position because not every player that's going to the Olympic Games is from college hockey. In fact, only a few of them are. But that's going to mess with some teams because I'm looking at this U.S. roster. We mentioned Will Borgen, the defenseman from St. Cloud State, will be going to the Olympic Games, so he will not be available to St. Cloud State late in the season. You're also going to see Ryan Donato, who as who Chris is going to interview for a piece later this week for InsideHockey.com. He is selected to that team from Harvard, so Harvard be losing him. Jordan Greenway has been selected to the to Team USA, which will take a player away from Boston University in the middle of the season as well. Troy Terry from Denver is also going, and that's just Team USA. Canada has not named their team yet, so there could be more dominoes to fall in that in in that regard. For Team Canada, I would expect Dante Fabro, a defenseman from BU, 
who played on the World Junior Team last year for Team Canada, has shown real flashes of... Uh, he's an outstanding skater, has a wicked shot. I would expect that Favreau will also be playing in the Olympics uh, for Team Canada. But just taking a look at those U.S. players and their impact on the team right now, I mean, Donato is absolutely the best player that Harvard has, and he may well be the best player in all of the ECAC, skater for skater, in terms of what he can do with his skating, his passing, his face-off ability, he well may be the absolute best player in the ECAC. And Harvard, a team that uh, just on standings right now, is sitting at 4-3 and three overall uh, in the ECAC and 5-6-1 and one overall. They desperately need Donato, and he's not going to be there for a stretch run. For a team that uh, isn't that is having a up and down season for their recent standards, they could compete. They could push for another championship in the ECAC and maybe get back to uh, deep into the NCAA tournament. But they're going to be without their best player, and that is damaging for their own chances. Jordan Greenway doesn't quite have the uh, the Donato effect on BU as as. Uh, there's enough talent that they could make up for him, but that's a big body, a six foot five Jordan Greenway, who's going to be gone from uh, from the Terriers for the better part of February. Which, by the way, the Bean Pot is also happening. So you have you have two major players who would have a big impact on teams' chances to win in the Bean Pot, who are not going to be taking part in it. And the Saint Cloud uh, will uh, impact for Will Borgen will be a little bit neutralized because Jimmy Schultz and the rest of the decor is very good. And Troy Terry leaving Denver means Henrik Borgstrom and the rest of the loaded talent in Denver will have to carry more of a load. But the two Eastern guys leaving has a huge effect on that, on those teams. And I should mention, since you talked about the bean pot, that there's a reason that my alma mater, Northeastern University, Three of their four bean pots came in Olympic years that used college players. There's a reason for that. So it does mess with that tournament in particular. It has in the past. And we'll see because Team Canada could always choose Dylan Secura and suddenly everyone's on the same page. Yeah. I mean, BC, for the best of my knowledge, I haven't seen any BC players who will be going. So as of right now, they would. Be, unless Joseph Wool or Jake Ottinger, the two goaltenders, depart. And I don't think either of them will. I haven't seen any reports that uh, those two will be will be gone for goaltender purposes. I mean, there's a bunch of other NCAA um, veterans and alums who will be taking part on the uh, in the Olympic team. BC alum Brian Gianta is going to be the captain. Uh, former BU star Matt Gilroy is going to be one of the alternate captains. So I'm happy to see Gilroy get a chance with the Olympic team. Chris Bork, uh, Brian O'Neill. What? I'm sorry, Chris Bork never <laughs> attended a single class in Boston University. <laughs> <laughs> of course we're going to get that get that sentiment. I don't blame you. I can't help but mention it. He did it. I'm not saying I'm not saying anything beyond it. I just he never attended a single class. I 
I get it. I understand. I, I get that you're bitter about the whole thing. Uh, yeah, there anyways. will always be an asterisk next to the 2005 bean pot in my mind. You know, at that end, if you get into overtime, give Chris Bork the puck, I guess. At, le- at least once I'd like to celebrate when he does something instead of <laughs> lamenting it for the next 15 years. Oh, geez, you really are a heartbroken fan. <laughs> hey, I was a student then. I was I was actually in the building for that one. Oh, I understand that. It's kind of like how I'll never really like Providence after that whole thing at BU that we don't talk about that happens. Uh, so I completely understand it. Uh, it'll be a fun time getting the seat. I mean, I think that this could have a very good effect for college hockey because say Team USA wins or say uh, there are actually a couple BC players who might join on with the with the Finnish team and Apelli Rossinen and a couple other guys. But um, uh, they have, let's say, college hockey players succeed in a big way at the Olympics. Well, you could get a real influx of more talent as if there needs to be any more talent in college hockey because there's already so much here you could see some real development and expansion of the sport which we're all in favor of here if they do well if either team usa or canada or whoever else happens to have any college players ends up really doing well you could see a growth and development in the sport you'll also are probably going to see some teams who really struggle without their superstars on the roster. It's it's a double-edged sword, but I think if you're looking long game, you're really hoping that these college guys, whatever team they're playing for, are hugely successful if you're going to be pulling for the growth of college hockey. And on that note, there's also, as we know, Olympians who do well become well-known especially in the United States, we turned them into stars. We turned them into objects of, you know, they're on commercials, they're on television all the time. If a couple of hockey players did that, obviously the NCAA is going to have their issues, so they won't be on commercials necessarily, but they will be on television. They will be well-known figures, and people will want to follow them where they end up. Some of these guys will for the very tail end of the season, be able to rejoin their college teams. And if that's the case, you're going to get some added interest in college hockey should, say, Troy Terry have a great Olympic Games. When he gets back to Denver, people are going to want to see that Denver team. Oh, yeah. Donato, same thing. Uh, Greenway, same thing. You know, it's there's a lot of stuff that you could look forward to. There's a lot of growth and development that you could see in this sport. We all ought to be excited for that. It certainly has happened in the past with um, the women's college hockey game that certainly a lot of women from college hockey go to the Olympics and then they come back and they're a lot more well-known when they come back from the Olympics because that's where they get the big stage and suddenly people want to see, well, you know, they're really good. I want to go see them when they're playing in college and, Certainly, that's somewhere where the WCHA schools in particular, where they've had such a dominance in women's hockey and that Wisconsin team that currently only has one loss to this point in the season in a loaded conference, 
you know, on the women's game, they, they almost always see a little bit of a bump from the Winter Olympics because that's who supplies a lot of the players. Oh, yeah. It's, it is an exciting time for all hockey fans because with, even without the NHL there, you are going to get some outstanding hockey between all these, all these different teams. So I say be excited, but I am very intrigued to see who Canada ends up picking without being able to go through the list of most recent NHL All-Stars and have their pick. That's true, and that's the one place where the people who follow that team are going to know almost all of those names already. I'm sure there are plenty of people in Canada who could fill out their own ideal roster for a team excluding NHL players. So, you know, just another testament to how crazy for hockey they are up north. They, I'm sure people are waiting on pins and needles with that. When I tried to look up, because I wasn't sure if Team Canada had named their team yet or not, when I tried to look that up, I found countless articles speculating on it. So it's going to be a big announcement when they name those players. And certainly in terms of people paying attention to college hockey, any programs that send a player to Team Canada will immediately have that nation's attention. Oh, yeah. I I hope that Dante Fabro goes up there and really succeeds with Team Canada. He'll bring back, hopefully he'll bring back some good luck to BU and as a fan of my alma mater, I would love to see the Terriers with a little bit more success, but time will tell how, how things sort themselves out. Canada's going to be fine. Canada's going to really compete at the Olympics again, as they always do. It's their sport. I'll return your earlier kindness to Northeastern by saying something about BU's program that might give them a little bit of a leg up for all the other teams that are going to lose players to the Olympic Games, and that's that during David Quinn's tenure, they're they're used to turnover in the middle of their season. They they will lose some players during the season because when you recruit guys that are right on the edge of being pros, that's what's going to happen. So they've gotten kind of they they are their program is a little more insulated against that than most, I would believe, because of the nature of the recruiting that they do. They might actually be able to handle losing a couple of players in a way that most other schools might not. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think they'll be they'll have the they'll have the talent needed to uh withstand losing some of their best players. Jordan Greenway isn't going to uh his absence isn't going to sink the team. It will hurt and they will have to make some changes, but Brady Tuchuk coming back from the World Juniors is going to have to take uh, going to have to take on a bigger role, more responsibility in the scoring department. If Dante Fabro is gone, that might really hurt the defensive core. But um, I really think David Quinn has the coaching chops in order to guide the team to uh, to a top spot in Hockey East again. They, if they're on, they're a buzzsaw. They they ended up their season with a nine three pounding of Lowell. So I would be incredibly excited for what BU is going to do in the back half of uh, of this this seventeen eighteen season. But there's a ton of hockey to play, and we still got to wait for uh, all the other places that could have college hockey players playing for them to announce who their Olympic teams are going to be. 
character, right? It's still a developing story. And while we're talking about it, we've talked about Jordan Greenway a few times. It would be remiss to not mention that Greenway is the first African-American hockey player, male or female, to make, it says an Olympics roster here. I know it's the U.S. Olympic roster at the very least. So that's a huge accomplishment. That's a big milestone. And congratulations on a deserving selection for Jordan Green. Oh, he's absolutely deserving of it. 6'5", can really skate, can pass, can beat people up, uh, can score. Greenway was drafted in the second round right before his freshman year by the Minnesota Wild. I don't know if he is going to stay at BU for his senior season. From a Terriers fan's perspective, I hope he does. But I would not be shocked if this ends up being his final year. So, Minnesota Wild fans, if you listen, you're getting an outstanding player in Jordan Greenway. I hope he wins you some championships. If it's not going to be my team, the Bruins. And you know, I I guess that's a good place to go because we've talked about this a little bit before on this podcast, but... There's something else that college hockey fans can't help but do throughout both college hockey season and the pro season, and that's while the NHL is going on, I think most of us can't help but follow our our favorite team's alumni that have made the pros. And for for a Boston University alum who likes the Bruins, that's got to be pretty easy. Oh, man, Charlie McAvoy and Matt Grizzlick starring on that team. But the Bruins in general, I feel like I'm watching the last few years college all-stars with Andrews Bjork having some real success uh, alongside all the rest of the uh, all the rest of the Bruins. I mean, Bjork got sent down recently for uh, uh, for some returning players, but I am very happy to get to see basically a Boston University defense wearing Bruins colors. And um, they're going to be adding, at some point in the next couple of years, I would expect Forsbeka Carlson will start making some some NHL waves as well. He was certainly a wildly talented college hockey player. Yeah, JFK, best thing about him for me is his skating. I think that he is an NHL-caliber skater. I will spend some time in Providence alongside some other really good, really good college players like Ryan Fitzgerald at BC, uh, I'll remember other ones when uh, when it comes to the only thing that as a BU alum it's a little bit hard to uh, uh, to note. Wait, I have to root for Nolachari after he took a national championship from my school. Do I have to? Yeah, that, I can see that. I can see the um, the NHL can be can be tough to watch in that regard for me because there are a lot of BU and BC players that end up on teams and often teams I I want to to win that particular game and I'll want them to win a little less when suddenly a guy that's ripped my heart out as a college hockey player is holding the puck and looking at the net it it makes me a little nervous and in in that regard I will occasionally check just to see how the Anaheim Ducks are doing that they have Josh Manson and Kevin Waugh Kevin Waugh is having a pretty fantastic rookie season for a a team that's just dealt with injury after injury so it was great to see that on on my end because well 
Northeastern, we they have a program. They have they, their programs growing, but as far as players that have made the pros, you'd be surprised how few Northeastern players actually had a really good career in the pros. There's Chris Nealon, and then after that, there's a lot of debating. So, mm-hmm. so it's good to see it on on my end, and I I just think that's a thing every college hockey fan will do from time to time, especially when you get more and more players going to the pros and in college hockey, we have more and more high caliber pro prospects coming through than ever before. It seems, although I, I see that knowing that I've met many main fans who would probably dispute that. <laughs> oh my goodness. The university of Maine and Michigan and actually Duluth has a lot of good players from the eighties who made, made success. Uh, I mean, Brett Hull is the uh, is probably the biggest player who came through. Well, he had the best NHL success who came through uh, through college hockey. I mean, yeah, Brett Hull's probably the be- has had the best pro career who's come through any uh, any any college hockey team. But recently, I mean, rookies this year who were playing in college hockey last year, Alexander Kerfoot is having a great go of it. With uh, with Colorado right now, Brock Besser in, up in Vancouver had a had a pretty good go of it with um, uh, with North Dakota. Drake Kajula is having is is having a pretty good go of it so far. Will Butcher in New Jersey is having an outstanding stretch and as has them as one of the most exciting people. And my father, as a Harvard alum, is very happy to see Kerfoot succeeding in Colorado and Jimmy Vesey with Nashville, even though we both still think he made a mistake spurning the Predators for the opportunity to pick whatever team he wanted. He could have been playing for the Stanley Cup right out of Harvard, and he's barely on the edge of playoff contention now with the Rangers. At least he got to play the Winter Classic this last week, and that was a a fun thing to watch because I wasn't outside of it. (laughs) That's fair. I mean, for for your fan perspective, I still think VZ made a mistake with it. I'm just happy that my mom and my mom and dad have always noted they're always happy when guys stay the full four years and get their college degree because it's a meaningful thing, and you got to be happy whenever you do find your way through and whenever you do complete something significant like that. So I'm hopeful that Donato ends up staying at Harvard for his senior season. Same with Greenway and same with Bobo Carpenter. But if they do leave, I hope that they have real success with their NHL teams. It will be interesting because that my one of my favorite things about college hockey is the interesting way that the NHL does its draft and therefore the relationship that NHL teams and these college programs ends up having because you're able to provide advice to the players that you draft. They don't have to listen and you don't have any real control, but you can advise the players and in, in doing so college hockey becomes a bigger part of the professional development process than I can say for any other college team sport. And that I think is admirable it's one thing that will get players to stay at schools, although at times it will also lead to players who are simply good enough to play in the pros right now and good enough to make good money playing in the pros right now. And then you go back to that John Calipari argument of why wouldn't you? But 
there it, it does lead to players staying and it leads to kind of an accountability because it's the one place where college is actually allowed to do the thing that college does for everyone else that's on campus and prepare you for the career you want later on in life. Yeah, now if only we could get all the other college sports to catch up with it. Well, except kind of for college baseball. That's the one other of the four major college sports in which you really do see some kind of real development in that way, too. College football is its own separate beast completely, and college basketball, same kind of deal, especially with the one-and-done rule. I I love to joke about, just imagine college football with hockey's draft. Oh, my. Imagine what the last two weeks would have been like watching sports, watching any national sports outlet if college teams drafted between 18 and or NFL teams drafted between 18 and 20 and the players went off to college anyway and you just retained their rights, how weird it would be, how much talk there would be of every junior possibly coming out of these quarterbacks and who got them and when. It, it would just be chaos. It's so much fun to imagine. I always wish college football would do this. I know they will never do this. The NFL will never do this. There are good reasons they wouldn't. There are reasons it wouldn't really work, but it's so much fun to imagine. It just is. Oh, it absolutely is. And helps that the NHL, just on pure spectacle and enjoyment, has absolutely the best draft, just by leaps and bounds. They have absolutely the best draft out of all the four major team sports. So we'll see how that ends up working. But uh, yeah, I, I college football is never going to do it. would be nice, though. Let's just enjoy what we have with our college hockey deal because, man, isn't this fun? Unique conferences, a unique draft. It, it, it's its own landscape, and that I wouldn't want it any other way because it's so much fun to hear people talk about other college sports and just think, well, yeah, those conferences don't exist in, in in this world, except one, and even that one has Notre Dame in it. <laughs> Which, yeah. by the way, I'm going to actually, I'm going to shift gears just a little bit while we're talking about the differences between college sports and say something I've noticed this year. Notre Dame, just join the Big Ten. I don't care. I know there's money on the table. You'd be leaving there by joining a conference for football. I know you've got to deal with the ACC, but having watched Notre Dame hockey, Notre Dame's a Big Ten school. Stop denying it. As if it was ever a question of what conference they belonged in. They played in the Big East for basketball, and they never really belonged. Same deal with playing in hockey East. They competed well, and there were uh, there were some real rivalries between between all the different schools, like, but they never really belonged in uh, in these Eastern sports. They are a Midwest school. They're a Big Ten school thoroughly. So, I would love to see Notre Dame join on with the Big Ten. Well, kind of maybe for everything except football, because I guess you have to have some bit of tradition retained. And Notre Dame being independent is that last vestige of tradition that we might as well hold on to because reasons. I guess I, I guess that makes plenty of sense. The, I just look at since since they joined the Big Ten in hockey, it just seems like they're such a natural fit, and it's made their team better. I I honestly don't think that Notre Dame would be as good as they are 
if they had to get on a plane for every one of these hockey East games that they had to play last year. I think that was grueling. I think it wore on them. I could tell by the end of the the hockey East tournament when they got crushed in the semifinals by Lowell, they just looked beat up from all the travel. And, you know, we've mentioned it with the WCHA schools having to take on, oh boy, the amount of travel they have to take on. But it was rough for Notre Dame. Now that they're in a bus league, as Jeff Jackson liked to call it, they're doing, they're cleaning up. And oh, I yeah. think that would be good for their basketball. And I'd like to imagine it with their football just because I've spent the last week hearing people lament what happened at Central Florida. And if you're going to make the Power Five conferences mean everything, you have to make Notre Dame join in. Mm. I could see that. I, Back uh, to huh. hockey. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I, just had get, I had to get it off my chest because that's uh, – it's just being going around for the last two weeks around here is all this talk about the playoff and about these selections. You know what's nice? Having a sport with a 16-team playoff where out of 60 schools, 16 is more than enough. There's never really that much of a – no one really gets snubbed. Nice to have yeah. that. Yeah, it's a good touch with everything here. I guarantee you that – However Hockey East shapes up, however the ECAC shapes up, there will be a lot of schools that feel like they were snubbed. But really, the NCHC is going to have some teams who do not make the tournament. There was a writer at, uh, at the Ledger Bank Classic in, in, uh, in Dartmouth from Duluth who was covering the, uh, the Bulldogs. And he noted that you're never going to have one conference with every single one of their teams making it. But this year's NCHC is the closest that you could ever get, uh, that you could ever get to having every single team in one conference load up, considering the, uh, the over 500 records, which would mean half of the tournament is one conference. So they're going to have some schools that are snubbed when, when it comes that time, I think. Fair enough. Fair enough. I guess the point I was making is if Canisius or someone else is the is the college hockey equivalent to UCF, they will get their day in court. And I think we're all happy about that, too. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. And I think Canisius deserves the chance to go and compete and see what uh, see what they can do against the best ones. I said the same thing about Air Force last year. And I thought they'd beat Western Michigan, and I thought they'd give, give Harvard a battle. And it turns out, right on both accounts, and if they still had Shane Starrett, I think they'd be in a much better position uh, than what they are right now. So I'm always very happy to see what, uh, uh, to see what some underdog schools can do. But we're going to have some schools be snubbed, no matter how many teams you have in a playoff with how many schools are eligible for it. You can't please everybody. So I mean, just look at basketball, and even with sixty, I guess now it's sixty-eight teams that get to go, or however many they have, there's still always going to be somebody that's mad that they didn't get into the tournament. You're talking about the difference between number sixty-four and number sixty-eight. Oh yeah, there's there's no way you can please everybody. There's absolutely no way you can please everybody. 
with uh, with these conferences. So you can come as close as you can. I'm not sure who's who's gotten closest. College football's playoff is outstanding, all things considered. I thought the football games between Bama and Clemson and Georgia and uh, Oklahoma were very exciting. And I thought I think the college hockey, the college football playoff works very nicely. I really like March Madness, and I think the college hockey tournament is is a special thing. So I think this works out quite nicely for all involved. It works out nicely, and the differences work out nicely in and of themselves. There, there's something to be said for not every sport ending the same way. We certainly see it in the pros with the wild difference in what it means to be a playoff team in say the NFL versus what it means to be a playoff team in the NHL, which means you're in the top half of the league. That's it. That's all it means is you're in, you're one of the top 16 teams out of 30. Yeah. There's a wild difference there. There's a wild difference between what it means to be a tournament team in basketball versus what it means to be a tournament team in hockey. And you don't want it any other way because then everything's boring. Then it's all the same conversation just with different sports and different teams. And, you know, we, we repeat ourselves a little too much as it is, I think. I'll agree with that. We, I, I just like how, you could have there's so much variance with what you could expect for in college hockey. So I say let's just have some fun with what we've got because the rest of this season we have got a fun ride on the way for for all of us involved. It's going to be an interesting and fantastic 2018 for the college hockey schedule. You look at the way these schedules shape up. You look at the looming threat of the Olympics for certain teams and how that's going to kind of shuffle the deck in college hockey in and of itself. And then you look at some of the you've you've got a good mix as you do in every sport every year between the usual suspects the team we're used to seeing on top and a few kind of newcomers or teams crashing the party or teams that we haven't seen in a while. So as as the rest of the season progresses, it's going to change a lot. And there's going to be a lot there. We've been at this for a while. I think it's time to wrap up. Chris Lynch from InsideHockey.com. Tell people what you're working on this week. And I would ask what games you're going to, but it sounds like you're probably best off staying inside and being safe. Oh, I'm still going to go to some games. Saturday, I've got on the road. I'm at uh, BU versus UMaine at home uh, at Aganis Arena. Uh, Monday, I'm in Providence covering... Again, Maine at Brown. But the big story that I'm working on, I'm uh, scheduling an interview with Ryan Donato of Harvard. Going to talk about the Olympics and Harvard season so far. So uh, that should be up middle of next week. And I'm really excited to uh, get to work on that. Excellent. It sounds like something that's going to be a lot of fun to read. And Chris, how can people follow you on social media? You can follow me uh, on my on my Twitter feed at CC Lynch Wall, all lowercase, and you can follow me on Instagram at CC Lynch sixteen. The number, uh, not the full spelled out word. Um, that's where you can find me on my socials. 
You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Tim Wrights Sports. It's two S's in a row between rights and sports. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts. And please do. We're relying on your help. We're relying on you maybe telling a friend that you're talking about college hockey with. There, there's not that much college hockey content out there. And we're happy to provide it. Please tell a friend. Please subscribe. We will be back next week. And... This has been another episode of Puck University. I'm your host, Tim Williams. As always, keep your head up and your head's clean.